is episode 16 of From the Braves Booth, and we're coming to you from American Family Field. As this afternoon, the Braves and the Brewers are engaged in game two in this best of five series, the NLDS, alongside Joe Simpson and our producer engineer, Jonathan Chadwick. Ben Ingram here with you. And Joe, you go into today's ball game, and you would say that today is an absolute must win for the ball club. And I know we're going to be talking just pretty much everything postseason on this episode. We'll be getting to some of the questions and the emails a little bit later. But given what we saw yesterday and what you're seeing today, you go into this ball game tonight knowing you got to win this ball game. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great game yesterday. I, I thoroughly enjoyed everything except the outcome. I, I love watching the two pitchers go at it. Uh, they dominated. The Braves let Burns off the hook in the first inning, made him throw a lot of pitches. But if they don't get that double play in the first inning, there's no telling how many pitches he might have thrown that would have really changed the course of that ball game. And it's hard to think that the top half of the first inning carried so much weight, but it did. Yeah. Now, with respect to must win, uh, I wouldn't call it dire straits, although I love the band, uh, but I would call it uh, something you don't want to fall behind 0-2. Even if you are going home, that means you got to win three in a row against a very good ball club, and that's hard to do. Yeah, it is very hard to do, and the good news is Max Fried goes in the ball game this afternoon, and looking back on yesterday's ball game, you wouldn't say that the starting pitching was an issue. In fact, if you had told me before the the game that all Charlie Morton was going to do is give up two runs in his time out there and the bullpen was going to be clean. I just said the Braves are winning this baseball game. Yeah. And like you mentioned, the top of the first inning did carry so much weight. I knew we knew it was big at the time, but it got heavier and heavier as the ball game continued. Yeah, it, it, it's such a difference in any game, regular season or especially postseason, to score first. When you score first, you put the opposing team on the defensive. They, uh, they may take more risks. The pitcher gets a little tighter because he can't afford to make any more mistakes. And I don't care how good you are. If you're behind one to nothing from the get-go, it, it changes the way you pitch. So uh, again today, for Max, try to get a couple of runs early off of Woodruff and see if that helps. Yeah, that's the other part of it, is facing Woodruff. And similar to what we were talking about yesterday with Burns, the Braves have seen him and had success against him. And maybe that was earlier in the season. Uh, that, that was a few months ago. But I think that I think that carries some weight into today's ball game, given that these guys have had success this season against that guy. And uh, I know that it's two completely different days, but I think seeing him then and having success against him then could go a long way today for this ball club. Yeah, same strategy, though. Make him work. This guy's a great big guy, and he's a sweat hog. I mean, he can really spit out some sweat if you make him work, uh-huh. and it, it can fatigue him quickly in the ball game. So if they are able to do to him what they did to Burns in the first couple of innings, it will make a huge difference in this ball game, I believe. Now then, he throws hard. He's got good stuff, and, and don't look at his record. A losing record means nothing in today's game because of who you're facing. Uh, he had a great year last year, and he's um, – He's really good. He's just mm-hmm. very good. He's not a 9-10 and 10 pitcher. Yeah, he's not. And I think we feel good about Max being out there, and we'll see what happens against Woodruff. But let's go back to the first ball game. Yeah, the Braves pitch well. But they scored one run. What was the why were why were the Brewers so successful yesterday against this Braves lineup? Uh, they were lucky in the first inning. Number one. Uh, after that, the Braves didn't get a hit to what the fifth inning. Right. So they get a hit there, then they hit into a double play. I didn't think that was a real good at bat by Darno after the hit by Rosario. Uh, he had the whole right side open. 
where if, even if he just takes a shot over there, uh, he might be able to dribble a ground ball through and have first and third. So I don't think the situational hitting was real good yesterday, and that was one at bat that stood out to me. I, uh, I hope it's a little better today because uh, it surprised me that the Brewers shifted as much as they did. I'd been led to believe they had really backed off on a lot of their shifting. Yesterday was not an indication that they have. No, it wasn't, and they did it pretty much the entire ball game. And Braves looking to break through today, and by the time folks are listening to this, I'm sure the result is, is already in by the time they uh, have an opportunity to listen to this podcast. And either way, the Braves will be heading back to Atlanta for a third ball game. If I were to tell you that you'd come to Milwaukee and split, you had your, your pick between the two games you'd want to win. Wouldn't, wouldn't you choose game two to take some momentum back home? Yeah, I would. Uh, but here's the way I look at that. Does it even matter? If, if It doesn't really matter if, you get, if you're only going to get one. But I feel like if you get the first game on the road – Second game is uh, you're the you're off the hook really. Yeah. You're, you, there's no pressure to have to win game two. There is today for the Braves on the road to to salvage one. But uh, if you win that first game on the road, it's like hey, I just loosened everybody up for game two, and you never know what might happen. Uh, going back to your question, your previous question though about yesterday, I thought uh, Ozzy Albies was really impatient yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, the first inning. Burns walks Solaire. He walks Freddie. He throws a wild pitch, or it was a pass ball that allowed the runner to go to third. He falls behind Ozzy 1 0, and he's hacking at the next pitch. I thought that was very impatient on his part to not at least see if Burns is going to be able to regroup and throw a strike. And I thought Ozzy was. Uh, a overly aggressive a little bit on Burns in subsequent at-bats where he was trying to make sure that that cutter didn't jam him. He was trying to swing early to get out on top of it, and his result uh, was way out on his front foot and too early on his swings. So today, better situational hitting, maybe a little more patience on the part of a couple of hitters, including Ozzy, and see if they can... Um, score some runs early against Woodruff. That would go a long way. I mean, the obvious part of scoring early is you set the tone for that ball game and you really increase your chances for winning. But furthermore, if the Braves do that, I'm curious to see how that affects the Brewers because think about this. They used one of their aces yesterday. They're using Woodruff today. They used another starter out of the bullpen yesterday in Hauser. They had another one warming up in Peralta. So if you're able to get after Woodruff, let's just, just say you score some runs early and you put some pressure on Craig Council and he gets into the third or fourth inning and he thinks he needs to go into that bullpen I'm really curious to see how that bullpen and that pitching responds given that they've been using starters already using a second one yesterday as a reliever and warming another one up not to say that they couldn't be available Uh, but they they set a tone early to tell us that they're willing to use their best arms even if they are starters if it means getting a win that day yeah and and when you think about their ace setup guy Devin Williams not being available for the postseason uh Suter uh, another tough setup guy unavailable in this series. They were kind of forced to use some of their starters down there uh, and move them down there like uh, Hauser and Lauer. So Hauser pitched two innings yesterday. I don't expect to see him up today. Uh, they had Peralta up, didn't get in the game. They got to have somebody pitch game three. Right. So I would, I would assume it would be Peralta who's really good. Uh, But that doesn't mean Lauer couldn't come in in the middle of the game and pitch a couple of innings. Right. And and while Hayter came in and got the job done yesterday, 
they had runners on base. They had some success against them. They waited him out, drew a walk. Uh, you had the tying run at third base. I wonder if that gives the Braves a little bit of momentum, knowing that they saw him in game one. And if oh, they yeah. see him again, yeah. uh, knowing that they were that close to scoring a run, that could help them the next go-round. Yeah, and um, let's face it. Hater's outstanding. He could come in today in the ninth inning and strike out the side and nobody even foul tip a ball. But yesterday, the Braves were on him. I know he struck out Ozzy. He got Ozzy to uh, chase a bad ball for the strikeout. But everybody else was on him, and they were fouling pitches off, and they had some good at-bats. Even the ground ball that Arcia hit uh, to end the ball game. If that ball's hit six feet to the left of Colton Wong, it may not be a base hit, but it was going to be a tough play to try right. and throw him out, and a run scores, and we tie the ball game. That was a good at-bat by Arcia, who fouled off several pitches before that. Um, so, yeah, I think the Braves serve notice that we're not we're not intimidated. Yeah, I think so, too. Looking back on yesterday, obviously someone had to win, someone had to lose. But I think how we got there, as disappointing as the uh, as the result was, I think we got there in the way that most of us expected. You saw really good starting pitching. Bullpen for the Brewers was really good. Braves had some opportunities. Unfortunately, couldn't come through with two outs. And we mentioned that last week and, and other weeks prior on this show about how big two-out opportunities are in the postseason. Everybody's going to get them. I mean, you go back to that ball game last night with the Giants and the Dodgers. Uh, Giants shut them out, but the Dodgers had opportunities. And you look back on those two-out base hits and the teams that get them are the teams that advance. So I guess what I'm getting at is, uh, while the result wasn't what you wanted, the game itself was about what I expected. Maybe a few more runs. A little bit. But I expected a swift, uh, pitching-dominant ball game. And to be quite honest, I think I expect about the same thing in this ball game today. Yeah, I do too. I, I, don't, I don't expect any kind of giant 8-7 outcome today uh who who knows what's going to happen but both of these guys are good and max has been on such a roll what is his last 11 starts he's 7 and 0 with a sub 2 era Mm a couple of shutouts mixed in there uh max is on a roll he is focused and determined he is trusting his stuff he is smart He's got his pickoff move to help him whenever he needs it. That'll help control any running game. Uh, I really like the Braves' chances today with Max out there. Now, from an offensive standpoint, uh, whatever the Brewers may have learned about Atlanta hitters yesterday, I don't think it's going to help them today because I didn't think the Braves' hitters yesterday uh, presented anything that would strike fear in them right you know they know atlanta's got a lot of power they know up and down anybody can hit a home run uh but the at-bats yesterday were controlled pretty much by burns through his six innings yeah they were let me give you some numbers that are really interesting going into this ball game talking about the pitchers last loss for max freed was was, uh, july 28th since then a 146 era braves are 10 and 1 in his last 11 starts that's really encouraging brandon woodruff has hasn't gone to the mound in 11 days. Um, that was against the Cardinals. He went four innings, gave up a couple of runs on seven hits, but the Brewers lost his last four starts of the season. His first half of the season, he was amazing. 187 ERA, 7-3 record. Last three months of the season, 345 ERA, not bad, but a 2-7 and seven record. I mean, his first half and second half, two totally different things in terms of the record, isn't it? Way different. Uh, different guy, almost. Uh, I still put a lot of stock in the fact that he is good and 
can can jerk up a beauty just about mm-hmm. at any time. Now, the layoff for him, we'll find out in the first inning how sharp he is if he's a little rusty. The Brewers don't believe in uh, rust over rest. They believe in rest. Right. One of the things they did all year long, they had a six-man rotation. You pitched once a week. That's it. That's it. That's how they protected their players. That's why you don't see many decisions. Corbin Burns is a good example. You don't see a lot of a uh, ton of innings pitch, and you don't see a ton of decisions because they pitch once a week to protect those guys. Uh, most of their strategy, philosophy is a better term, uh, for these guys that are in the rotation now is that they started in the bullpen. They all pitched in the bullpen before they were made starters. And the ultimate goal may have been to make them starters, but they pitched in the bullpen first. They didn't just come to the big leagues and get put in the rotation. And I think it's really paid off for them. I, I like what they've done. I admire what they've done. They've been patient with these guys, and it's helped them along the way. Yeah, to back your point, just like uh, we were talking about with Burns yesterday for Woodruff, when it comes to his postseason experience, he does have three starts in the postseason in his career, but he has six appearances altogether and a lot of those were as a reliever. That was the same with Burns exactly. yesterday. Exactly. They have postseason experience, but it was as a reliever and then worked into the rotation. And you'd say the same thing for Max. How about this? Today will be Max's fifth start in the postseason, but his 13th appearance. Uh, when, when he first had opportunities in 18 and 19, he was used out of the bullpen. Yeah. And it's a little bit surprising to me that Max has 30 innings pitched in the postseason. That's higher than you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, but most of that as a reliever. So I think that'll benefit him too. I do too. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's old school stuff. I mean, most guys, uh, I don't know what percentage, but most guys when they got to the big leagues had to serve an apprenticeship of some kind in the bullpen. Uh, The team was already loaded or stocked with guys in the rotation, veteran players, so you kind of had to earn your spot in a rotation. Max certainly did. Yeah, he did. One more thing that I want to ask you about when it comes to looking for advantages here and there. We mentioned that the Braves saw Woodruff on the 31st of July. Brewers never saw Max this year, and, and that could tilt to the Braves' favor. I know at this time of the year we're, we're grasping for any kind of an advantage, but that could be a distinct advantage. Distinct advantage for Max, especially the first time through the order. Uh, you know They're going to go back to the dugout, and they're going to tell everybody what they saw, but you can look at all the video you want, and you can go back to some old at-bats maybe that are archived that you had against Max uh, uh, in – 2019, uh, I don't think that's going to help you today. Right. Until you step in there, realize he can throw hard too, and he's got that hook and change up that. He's a much tougher competitor now than he was even then. Yeah, he was. He's really turned himself into somebody who can go out there and be as mentally tough as anybody else out there in the league. Uh, We've got plenty of questions to get to, and our email address is bravesbooth at gmail.com, and we hope that there will be another show. That would mean that the Braves would continue uh, beyond a sweep. That would be great. Yeah, let's let's talk about that a minute. Uh Um, Let's talk about what is coming. Uh, not just today, but beyond today. Let's use the hypotheticals and talk about what would have to happen at home beginning Monday. I believe that's a 1 o'clock game. Is that right, Jay Chad? Unless... At the moment, it's scheduled to start at 107. But if Houston sweeps Chicago... It would be moved back. There's a couple different scenarios to where they could be pushed back into the 4 o'clock hour or the 5 o'clock hour, depending on the outcomes of the AL side. Let's, let's hope not. Let's hope it's not a 4 or 5 o'clock start because of the shadows, you know. Um, as a former hitter, uh, that's my first and really only concern. 
uh, is having a hit in the shadows like the guys. You know, let's face it, nothing happened yesterday for three innings right while those shadows were creeping across the field it was just too hard to see um so okay let's let's say the braves win today we all hope that happens go home one and one and everybody goes home and says yeah we just wanted to win one right win one on the road now we're in good shape going home well braves played better on the road than they did at home right uh, they had a good homestand at the end. Uh, when, and they swept the Phillies when they needed to. That was enormous. So which, which, of these, which of the teams shows up at home? The good home team or the one that just played about 500 at home? Yeah, and you got Ian going out there for game three. Well, as of now, we don't know exactly what their plans would be Brewers-wise no, for Game 3, but you're right. And you'd have the crowd. That would be great. I think that place would be fired up and electric. There's no doubt about that. But this team has played their best baseball away from Atlanta for whatever reason. Yep. And, and you might see the complete opposite next year. These things just kind of randomly happen in the game sometimes. But you, you, need to win, you have to win this ball game today. You don't want to go back down 2-0 and have to worry about winning three straight like we mentioned. So if you're able to do that, you go back to Atlanta and similarly to how a five game series is such a or rather a, a game five is so big in a seven game series it's the same thing with game three in a best of five yeah uh, th- that would be such a humongous swing game and to have that game at home that would be big uh, Ian would be on the mound and you'd hope for a really good start from your bats and I guess if anything else you'd say well you're going back to Atlanta you're comfortable there um, you know the Brewers did go to Atlanta this season they were there two months ago and took two out of three but um i don't know it, it this whole this whole series has felt like a coin flip series yeah. and boiling it down to one game to me is even a bigger coin flip i think these two teams are very evenly matched uh i give a, a slight edge to uh, milwaukee in their starting rotation not because they're one and two guys are better than ours it just it's deeper they've got right. they got a little deeper rotation than Atlanta has. The bullpen, probably a little edge to Milwaukee, um, especially when they had Devin Williams, but not much. It's very slight. If the Braves have a solid advantage, there's two areas. One, uh, power uh, in the lineup, and number two, defense, or a better defensive Mm -hmm. club. So there's, it is a flip of the coin. Think about it this way. If the Braves don't want to come back to Milwaukee for game five, they got to sweep the next three games. Right. And that's hard to do, but that's what you got to do, and it starts today. Yeah, it does. Let me ask you this. If they win today and you go back to Atlanta in a 1-1 tie, if you had to bet on it, would you expect a game five here? Or do you think this team can win three straight? No, I think they could win three straight with Ian going on um, on game three on Monday. Uh, I think they could win three straight, absolutely. That would be great. Find a way to win three in a row, not have to come back here. Win today. Yeah, that's huge. That is huge. Well, like we mentioned, we, we always take your uh, questions via email, bravesbooth at gmail.com. Jay Chad will be joining us, and we have a long list of questions, and most of these are about the postseason, which is great. And uh, I think that really helps us to dig into what we're doing. I know when it, when it comes to the postseason, there is there's an element to this that's totally different from the regular season. And uh, some of you have picked up on that, and we've got some questions about that. And um, I want to start things off. There's a question here from uh, 
This is from Jen. And the question is, in previous podcasts, I've heard you guys reference the intensity in postseason games and how things uh, can even change for you in the booth. Can you elaborate on those things a little bit? And uh, I think when it comes to what we do, not to say that we're not focused in the regular season, but wouldn't you say that the, the demeanor and the style in which we do our work is significantly different than what we do for 162? Absolutely. Uh, your preparation's different. Uh, the focus on pitch-to-pitch is different. Uh, a two-and-one count in the sixth inning with runners on base in the postseason is a whole lot different than a two-and-one count uh, on, on June 14th. In a game that right. uh, you, you may not have, there, there may not be the strength, the feel that this is a big, big pitcher. You got to do something with this pitch. Every pitch in the postseason is important. Every walk is a rally. Uh, it's just, um, it just all gets ramped up. Does mm-hmm. for me. I'm fired up about it uh, for today's game too, and we're still quite a ways away from first pitch. Yeah, and and I'll add this on to uh, that answer for uh, the question for Jen. When you get to the postseason, there's so much more information. There's so many more breakdowns. We get packs and packs of stuff, game notes from both teams, and uh, stats from the league and things like that. It would be very easy to drown yourself in all of that and lose yourself when it comes to the game. And I think you, and it's something that I learned broadcasting games in the postseason two years ago for the very first time. I went into it, um, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know that I blinked the entire first few innings of the first postseason game. <laughs> no, you did. didn't. You I don't did. think I breathed either. <laughs> uh, I think I had a, uh, my face was blue and I'm just, just going a million miles an hour. You saw hopped up on Mountain Dew. Big time. Big time. <laughs> that wasn't a, a drop of coffee left in the building, I don't think. But you've those are important things. Those numbers are important. I think it, it helps tell the story of what's going on. But you have got to find a way to clear all those things out because every single pitch is so big. Um, And it's so different from the regular season from the standpoint of we have a lot of fun broadcasting games during the regular season. There's lots of time for uh, to weave in entertaining stories and have a laugh and things like that. Not to say that we can't do that in the postseason, but the stage to do that is significantly smaller than it would be in a regular season game. And I think you're so much more uh, down to the microscope focusing in on every single pitch of that game much more so than you would be during a regular season game and to me that's the biggest difference for doing what we do in the postseason versus the regular season altogether yeah yeah it is uh, and yesterday uh, Jonathan and I were talking about it this morning uh, we go back to the hotel after the game and got there about seven o'clock is that about sound about right right and I was toast you know, you, yeah, mentally you guys, and yeah, I know you guys went to get something to eat. I didn't feel great afterwards, uh, and I it was like I could have gone, I could have crawled in between the percales right then and gone to sleep because I was mentally toast, uh-huh. and it it wears on you. And I didn't even play, <laughs> but I felt like it did. I know it mentally wears on JC. What about for you, JC? Well, I, th- I just think you know to kind of follow up on what you guys said in the postseason, every pitch and play matters so much. Every single little thing is dissected and discussed if you want to go back to the first inning last night we all know what happened um you know to joe's point if it's june 14th you probably wake up the next day you move on you don't think much about it 
you turn on the TV this morning or talk radio and, you know, the first inning for the Braves is being discussed on pretty much every single platform. So it's just a bigger deal. It's a heightened sense of awareness when it comes to everything that happens in the game. And so it's stressful and it's very intense. You know, there was a question here uh, to move on that in line with what you just said, Jonathan, uh, from Dustin. And he said, hey, guys, love the podcast. What is the thought process in breaking for home on contact with less than two outs, such as Solaire did last night? It seems like when that happens, they're most of the time a sitting duck. Why not wait and see it through the infield? And the reason for that, Dustin, is with nobody out there, first and third, uh, you're coached to go unless it's hit back to the mound. You know, if it's a comebacker, you try to stop and get back to third. But what you want to do is not be left stuck at third base on a double play. And that, that was a ground ball. wasn't hit to the pitcher. just happened to be hit right to the bag at first base. So you want to score if they're going to try and turn a double play. Well, heaven forbid, you never thought he was going to come home. Right. And he made a horrible throw, and Narvaez made a great play. You know, so that's that's the reason why Soler's scoring. He doesn't want to get left standing there on what might be a double play ball. And given the situation, game one of the postseason, wouldn't you say that these guys are looking, even if they don't mean to, uh, but just play a little bit more aggressively? I mean, yeah. even if right. you, you know you might be doing that it's kind of subconsciously but just amping it up when it comes to how aggressively you play in that situation yeah and he couldn't tell that the ball was bounced right to the base you know chest tied to Telez right at the base he just knew it was a bouncing ball to the right side and for them to throw him out let's say that ball was a little bit off the bag and Telez comes home and still throw still throws Soler out at home well they didn't get any other outs that's the only one they had so it'd be one out and runners at first and second right the trade-off is if they if they're going to turn a double play, you still want the run. Unfortunately, they got both. They got they cut off the run and they got the double play, and it was just a happenstance, a very lucky bounce, if you will, on the throw home. Because think about this: when you watch that replay again, especially from an angle like at high home or high first. And you see Narvaez, you, you know how a player will catch a short hop, you know, right. by starting on the ground and raising their glove up. Well, when Narvaez caught that ball, that short hop throw, it raised his glove right into Solaire. All he had to do was basically fall over to touch him because the tag was ready. Uh-huh. You know, if that was a high throw, he may not get it down in time. And we're talking about, it. wow, what a great aggressive play by Solaire. Great yeah. decision. Yeah. And, and we got first and second and nobody out in a run in. Right. Uh, JC, you got a question you want to fire away with? Sure. This comes from Tim. He says, when it comes to managing postseason games, what changes the most for any manager? Uh, that's lineup to me and roster um, construction. You've got to know what guys you want available to you, in, and you go through just about every scenario. Uh, late in ball games, who are your pinch hitters? Um and as, as was the case yesterday when we found out Terrence Gore's on the team, do you have somebody that could even pinch run? That's a valuable weapon. Uh, it costs somebody else a spot on the roster, but that's just a weapon that you might need in the postseason that you wouldn't, I'll say, waste during the regular season. Mm-hmm. So roster construction and knowing how to manipulate your bench, I think, are the two big things. 
You know, I think another thing, too, just to add to that, is the leash may not be as long for certain guys on the mound as maybe it would be in the regular season. Right. And that could be the case game three with Ian. Yeah. I think the way you go into that, if your snit is totally different than how you went into game one with Charlie, just because of the experience. I saw a game. I was working for TBS postseason, Red Sox and Tampa Bay. At Tampa Bay, Red Sox were up two games to none, best of five. Uh, Hendrickson, I think, was the guy's name that started for Joe Madden in Tampa Bay. And he said, you know, there is no leash, you know. And this guy uh, got off to a bad start in the top of the first inning. He got one out and was not throwing strikes. Bang, he's out of there. Yeah. And they brought in a different pitcher every inning to try to stall any momentum the Red Sox might get get against a pitcher who might go two or three innings. Yeah. They're changing every inning, and it almost worked. But there was no room for error, and, and he wasn't going to leave him out there to try to figure it out and give up three or four runs. Yeah, I can do that in May. I, yeah, I have right, to in May. Right. I've got a season to, to right, get through. Right. I need somebody who can eat innings, and I can't kill my bullpen. Right. I'm not worried about somebody eating innings right now. I no. need I need to win this ball game and you can't, do or die. You can't worry about tomorrow. Uh-huh. You know, I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. i got to try to figure this out today when you're on the verge of being eliminated. Yeah, I think that might be the best way to put it is regular season, you're managing thinking about the rest of the season. This time of year, you're managing thinking about today and today only. That kind of leads into this question from Chip. Were you as shocked as me that Martin and Rodriguez were left off the NLDS roster? That's an interesting question. I was a little bit surprised that both were left off. I thought you might have one or the other. But if you're breaking it down, okay, if you're going with Rodriguez um, uh, versus one of the other guys who was taken and break it down one-on-one, and I'd say to myself, all right, well, Rodriguez was struggling there towards the end. I don't want to be giving up home runs here in October. That could kill me. And he had a problem with the long ball. And you think about uh, Jacob Webb. We were talking about this just the other day. If you had the choice between Webb or uh, or Rodriguez, and we thought, man, this is kind of close. And maybe you lean against the guy who was giving up the home runs, get away from that. And that's, uh, I'm sure it's a tough decision, but a decision that they made. Yeah, and I think what we've come to learn is that uh, the scouting report on the Brewers was that they're not a real good breaking ball hitting team. They're a good fastball hitting team. We saw evidence of that yesterday. Charlie struck out nine and uh, he was dazzling them with his curveball and, and they get to looking for the curveball and he throw the ball by them. Um, but I think that was the difference on Rodriguez not making the roster. He might well make it in the second round if the Braves get there. Uh, so Webb's got a real good changeup. He's got a good off-speed pitch. Rodriguez does not. Chris Martin, on the other hand, um, I, I don't have a real good answer for that one. That one did surprise me, too. Uh, but remember, too, Chris Martin came in in relief. Uh, the first game, was it, against the Cardinals? Right, and, in 19. And was warming up and said he couldn't pitch because he had a strained oblique. Uh-huh. You know, that, that set Snitker back games. I mean, days. And then trying to rearrange the bullpen to try to make up for the loss of um, of Martin. And I'm not saying that they were worried about him getting hurt. I'm just saying that uh, uh, they couldn't count on they, they had to count on everybody. More reliable options, maybe. Yes, yes. And uh, that's the only explanation I have for that. I would just kind of joke briefly touched on this. I know Brian Snicker has touched on this, and so has Alex Anthopoulos. 
a roster is constructed for every round when they look at matchups and try to maybe envision how the game could potentially unfold. Just because someone's not on a roster, whether it's a a pitcher or a position player, for this round doesn't mean that's going to be the case next round. So, you know, buckle up. We'll see what happens. Dylan Lee was a guy that was somewhat surprising because he only had two outings in the big leagues. And quite... Frankly, for me, I never heard of the guy before he right. got here. But his history told you this year, especially, the guy throws strikes. And they liked what they saw of him in a couple of outings to throw strikes and were comfortable enough with that to go with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strider, on the other hand, he throws a bazillion miles an hour, but he doesn't really have a, a breaking ball he could count on. So he was not going to make the club. It's all about matchups. And you might get, if you advance, maybe you see the Giants or the Dodgers and you say, well, this is a better situation to have Chris Martin versus this team True. than it would have been in the previous round. True. You want a really good example of that? I go back to a few years ago, the Braves, I think it was the year the Braves played the Dodgers in 18. There was a chance that they could have played the Rockies in the first round. Yeah. You remember this? Yeah. And Julio Tehran, I don't think, made the postseason roster versus the Dodgers, but I remember the thought was if it had been the Rockies they had drawn, he could have been your game one starter. Right. That's how much they liked that matchup. Right. It was just a completely different set of circumstances with what he has versus that lineup compared to what he has versus another lineup, and they liked one, they didn't like the other. That's what you get in the postseason. That's a great recollection right there. Uh, let's see here. This says, um, good afternoon. We're listening to the game in Idaho Falls, Iowa. I'm sorry, Idaho Falls, Idaho. Uh, my question is, anybody teaching the hitters not to hit into the shift? Uh, and, and is there anybody teaching hitters how to bunt? Seems outs are given away when opportunities get uh, when, when opportunities to get runners on base and score. Today is a good day for a win. Thanks, Bevan and Denise Brush. And we appreciate them tuning in in Idaho. But it's interesting that we're talking about Major League Baseball. And people still wonder about basics like that because they don't see it as often as maybe they used to. No, and uh, you know that just opens up a big old can of worms for me. <laughs> uh, yes. Kevin Seitzer and uh, Nachi, uh, Jose Castro, and the other 18 hitting coaches that are on the Braves staff, they're constantly working with guys to to use the whole field. You know, it's harped on guys like Dansby Swanson all the time. Dansby's at his best when he's hitting the ball to right center. We all know that. We talk about that. He knows that. Uh, the thing that bothers me the most is in the shift that even if you just take one shot at it, you know, right. it's obvious if you're a right-handed hitter and there's nobody on the right side, it's obvious when you're trying to go inside out and maybe take a swing over there, even if you foul it off. I see, okay, he was trying to go that way. Well, the other team sees that too. And all of a sudden, maybe they adjust a little bit. He, hey, he's trying to go to right field. I better pull the second baseman back over here on this side a second. Uh, it's just an effort. It's just, just try it and see what happens. Bunning. Nobody bunts anymore. Pitchers, that's it. Milwaukee, I bet they don't have 10 sacrifice bunts this year from anybody other than pitchers. Mm -hmm. They just don't do it. The analytics say it's not worth it. Um, I would argue in the postseason that if you can get a guy in scoring position, it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, if you can get one run, you can't it means count one on, run. You can't count on home runs constantly in the postseason. Especially against the postseason pitchers you're going to see. That's exactly right. These teams are here because they've got good pitchers and – 
It's not going to be easy to take those guys deep the way that you want to. I got a, a, a friendly question here. It comes from Chris, who says, I know a lot of people ask questions that pit the radio team against the TV team, but do you guys ever collaborate or swap notes in preparation for a game or a series? And do you ever go out to dinner together after a game? Maybe not this year since they aren't traveling, but did you ever in pre-COVID years? That's from Chris. Um Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, we do. We do swap a lot. We exchange ideas. We exchange any information we may have picked up along the way uh, from sources that aren't available to them or available to us. And we try to keep each other abreast of anything that might be going on in, in advance of a, a particular ball game. And the answer is yes. We always used to go out uh, before covid and go to dinner mm-hmm. or, or meet up for a beer somewhere. So uh, we're very good friends. We're good pals. We jest about, you know, the matchups and the uh, steel cage fighting and everything. Fun little rivalry. I mean, we, we would whip some butt if we did that. But <laughs> other, but seriously, <laughs> seriously, and I don't want to turn J-Chad loose on him, but um, it, it, we're all good friends, and we certainly all benefit from those exchange of ideas. I'm coming off a ladder with a, with a steel chair chair into the back of chip's back wow wow he's fired up for the ball game today he's changed, he's changed his move that, that's not the same move it was the diamond cutter last week but now yeah. i'm coming off of an eight foot ladder with a steel chair right Man. in chip's back wow right off the turnbuckle wow well dusty Rhodes used to live may he rest in peace lived in my neighborhood so i would probably have to change mine to an atomic elbow That'll get the job done. Yeah, it would. Nothing like an atomic elbow from Every the turnbuckle. Every time, yeah. When can I expect to see the three of you guys don a pair of pearls? That's from Kristen. Um, Kristen. Uh, Jonathan, I'm going to let you go first on that because you're, you're very stylish. Well, I would just say if the uh, situation called for me to don a pair of pearls <laughs> uh, and it meant the Braves winning... I'll wear three pair of pearls. Sure. Well, I, I think I know the, the real answer to this because in previous years we've seen the uh, the Acuna chain night and the Albies yeah. chain night. Uh-huh. If Jock is for – if he's a Brave next year, I can guarantee you that's probably happening. Wouldn't you know there be it. a Jock Peterson pearls night? Yeah. And I'm sure the three of us would take the giveaway and take a picture. Hell, we'd wear a pearl choker <laughs> if that's what it took to win a ball game. And you know what? I loved your name that you had for uh, – for Jock, what'd you call him? I said uh, the Pearl the Palo Alto Pearl or something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's perfect. Pearlfect. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, let's talk about him for a second. While while we're talking about pearls, that was his tenth postseason home run yesterday, and he mm. came in a pinch hitting role against a sinker baller, and he hit it the other way. You think he'll play today? I hope so. I really yeah. hope so. Give it, I mean, they don't start calling it Jocktober after one or two homers. <laughs> no. You get that nickname because you're constantly going off in the month of October, and he has been in his career. I hope he's in there. and I mean, he's, he's something else because he's hit some big home runs in his career, and he's hit some big ones for the Braves. And when you're doing that, you can wear whatever you want to wear, which he does. You know, I heard his uh, interview at home there at the end of the season driving home and it was a very impressive interview he was so complimentary 
uh, to Charlie, to Max, to the pitching staff, to the team. Uh, even he, he was not saying, you know, I know my role and now my role is just to come off the bench. He's not, he's not giving in to that. He wants to play. Uh, but he, they kept pecking at him about the pearls. And he said, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what the big deal is. I like them. That's all I can say. And, you know, I didn't know it was going to become such a, a media circus. But I like them. And I thought, you know what? If you like them, what the hey? It's a little too much for me, but what the hey? Right. Well, he, he's comfortable in his own skin, and he doesn't mind doing it. Let me see. I got the matchups right here. Uh, Jock Peterson is 3-for-12 with two homers and five strikeouts against Brian Woodruff. What about Brandon Woodruff? Uh, Brandon Woodruff, sorry. Oh, Ed, Eddie Rosario is 2-for-5 with a walk and a strikeout. Yeah, that would be the, the alternative after what Jock did yesterday. Hey, Eddie had a hit too, a little blooper, but I might have to roll Jock out there today. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'm actually looking at the Braves lineup as we speak, and Jock is not in the starting line. Ah, ah okay. So use him as a weapon off the bench then, just Again. like he did yesterday. Yeah. It's a big weapon off the bench. Yeah. I think you just feel if, if you have a weapon that big, then you'd want him to get three or four cracks at it rather than just the one. And, again, Dansby Swanson had great numbers against uh, Burns. He's got good numbers against Woodruff, three for eight with a home run, three RBIs. Uh, Freddie Freeman, three for nine with a home run. So there's some guys that have some good numbers. Unfortunately, the guy who has the – who had the best numbers against Burns after Dansby, and the guy who has the best numbers against Woodruff is not on the team. He is suspended. Ozuna. Marcelo Ozuna, yeah. Mm. And that was the case with both these pitchers. All right, moving on. Moving on. Next question. Uh, I like this comment from John. He says, I just want to say that I think Joe Simpson is a national treasure. Thank you, John. I'm just going to introduce I, you as, as national treasure on the I, broadcast tonight. I told you to quit writing that stuff, John. <laughs> but <laughs> We agree, John. I don't know what that means, but thank you. Uh, this is from Eric, and Eric says, when you woke up today, what made you optimistic about game two? And I would say my answer is Max Freed. Yeah, absolutely. That's what Snitker said yesterday in his post game. He said, ask him, I'm paraphrasing something to the effect of, uh, are you concerned about tomorrow? And he goes, no, I got Max Fried going. Yeah. Pretty good answer. Unanimous. Yeah. You got one, JC? Yeah, this is from Patricia. She said, having never had the chance to visit American Family Field, what do you guys like and not like about it? I'll tell you what I like. I like when the roof is open because typically the weather is very comfortable here. Uh, that's my favorite thing is, is how comfortable the weather is in this ballpark. Weather uh, roof is open and it feels nice and it's a nice day in Milwaukee. When the roof is closed, I don't know about you guys. I know it's got the windows and all that. This place just looks so dark to me. It is. Uh, it, and, it does feel just, dark. You know, it, it's when, when the roof is closed, it's not my favorite place. When I first came here, and I like it better than I did, uh, I thought it was very drab. You know, it's got green seats, a lot of gray concrete. There just wasn't much color in it. Uh, the foul poles provided about the only color in the ballpark. But I, I've, I accused it of being unfinished. You know, there's these big ducks that run along the panes of glass, these filtered light glass down the third and first baseline. There's uh-huh. these air ventilation ducks. And I thought, why didn't they finish it? Why didn't they kind of dress right. that up a little bit? Because it looked very warehouse-like. Sure. But if you don't look at that stuff... 
it is a nice park. It, it's a, a place that they couldn't, uh, it would be miserable to play in Milwaukee without it mm-hmm. uh, early and late in the year. So it's grown on me. They do a fabulous job with their field. I'm thrilled that they still have grass on their field here. And, um, and it's a fun place to come because the fans are so great. I'll give you one more from my perspective. It's a good vantage point. Yeah. So I like where we sit in the booth, but they've got this permanent window here that doesn't open up all the way. I don't know the best way to explain it, but when it comes to our opening, maybe a fifth of the window moves out of the way, or four-fifths of the window moves out of the way, and a fifth of it's just still there permanently. And it's just this bar here. This, this vertical bar that just goes up from the desktop all the way up to the uh, to the ceiling. So that's kind of bizarre. And one last thing is uh, their security for the booth's not very good either as we've had a few things walk away overnight. I had some, some earbuds and some snacks that were taken overnight. And I'm more upset over the snacks and the earbuds, to be it, quite honest. I knew you would be. I mean, yeah. dead gummit. <laughs> That's Post never season. happened, by the way, of of any ballpark I've ever visited. We obviously leave our stuff here overnight. Yeah, stuff is sitting out. It's just what happens uh, when people visit our ballparks in Atlanta. The same thing happens, and never in all the years and all the games has anything, to my knowledge, ever walked out of the booth on its own. Right. I'm hoping that whomever grabbed it is hypoglycemic like myself, and they desperately needed the snack. Mm-hmm. But why would you want someone else's earbuds? I have no idea. And they're not even fancy ones. These are the ones with the wire. They're not the, the wireless ones. Yeah. When we were, t- to answer the question, when we were pulling up today to the stadium, Joe and I were looking out the window. This place on the inside and the out is not the most aesthetically pleasing place. However, it's a very comfortable place to work. The booth is great. Everything is easy and I think the thing I like the most every day when we get off the bus and we walk through the service level of the stadium to get on the elevator to come upstairs Mm -hmm. you see so many great people that are so nice and it's you know welcome to Milwaukee how are you guys and just uh, over the top and I think they kind of set themselves apart from a lot of places we go yeah I I agree Jonathan this this part of the country is like that just about anywhere in town you know the hotels that way the restaurants we went to uh, are that way. And by the way, we had, uh, I know you guys, uh, Wednesday night had a great meal at Carnivore Restaurant yeah. that you guys had put a five-star on. And we went to Eddie Martini's in Wauwatosa Thursday night. Had a great meal, great service, great place, highly recommended. Butternut squash risotto. Yeah, that stuff was great at Carnivore. Which answers Doug's question when he says, did you guys have a chance to get out for dinner at all in Milwaukee? If so, what's the best thing you ate? I, I don't need any more red meat probably the rest of the month because I've crushed a couple of steaks up here. Yeah. Both but, really uh, good. Great service at Eddie Martini's. Uh, the filet was great. The uh, lobster mac and cheese was great. We, we eat real light, as you can tell. <laughs> right. uh, there was one here I had from Austin. This is crucial. You folks that are going to the games in Atlanta, Austin wants to know, he says, I have tickets to game three and four in Atlanta. How electric do you expect the atmosphere to be at Truist Park? It's Look, regardless of what happens in this ballgame here, 
that place is going to be absolutely bouncing for that game three. And you want to win this ball game, and that way you know that's such a humongous swing game. But I've spoken with so many people who are going, have tickets already, similarly to the emailer, and, and folks want to be there. They know what it's like to be there. They've been in, in the postseason before in that ballpark, and it's such a great such a great venue for, for any ball game, but especially the postseason. And if you can bring this thing back 1-1, that place is going to be a madhouse. If there was a roof on Truist Park, I would expect it to be blown off and the thing that I keep thinking about is this is the for Braves fans this is the first time they've been able to uh, see postseason baseball in person in two seasons last year there was none of that so they're craving this and it's going to be wild I think so too and what I hope is that uh, I hope they're wild and loud uh, I I anticipate the Braves fans being loud on their own. I don't think the PA needs to be cranked up where people's ears are bleeding. I think it'll get the fans fired up with music and song and just the general atmosphere of the game. The PA does not have to be uh, so obnoxious that uh, the fans are covering their ears uh, instead of cheering. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. I think the fans uh, will make more noise than, than anything. That's all you're going to do. Yeah, need. That's, that's it. You know, uh, I think they'll be fired up on their own. They love this team. Uh, the guys were talking about after the clincher uh, how they heard the fans. They knew how excited they were, and they appreciated it and uh, basically said if, if that didn't fire you up, nothing would. Yeah. I don't think a fan's ever left a ballpark and said, man, I really loved how loud that music was of that ball game. I haven't heard anybody say that. <laughs> This, Go ahead, is, this is from Beth. She said, I know you're on radio, but would you say that you guys are the best looking booth in baseball? And Beth, in one word, yes. Wow. I've got two words. Of course. Okay. You go down the hall here and look at 87-year-old Bob Euchre and whoever he's working with. We're, we're head and shoulders over here. <laughs> Usually some, uh, some some ugly boys at the oh. radio club. Huh? <laughs> Big old fat boys, too. Yeah, well, we, you know, we take a shower and we can wear some nice clothes, and that yeah. goes a long way right. for us. And I have to say, you folks, Ben... Ben's taking this seriously. Jay Chad and I look nice, uh, nicer, I would say, than we normally do for the regular season. We we dress appropriately, but Ben has taken it up a notch. He's got he's had a suit on each of the last two days, and has been very very professional. Yeah, I, I can wear comfortable clothes all off season. I, yeah, I'm gonna treat the. It's like uh, you know, we growing up. And you're going to church every Sunday or whatever it may be, you'd wear whatever, your khakis or your polo shirt. But when it came to Easter, it's a big yeah. day. Yeah. You got all your nice clothes on. This is the postseason, so yeah. I'm revving it up a little bit. I know you are. You're looking sharp, man. To make it happen. Well, hopefully the Braves can make it happen today. Want them to anyway, but especially now that they took my protein bars and my headsets. But uh, that's another story you know, for another time. It's kind of like it's getting personal. I, you now. know what we're going to do? We're going to sick Jay Chad on this investigative thing, just like his pen down in spring <laughs> training. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's only fitting. Yeah. Because we started a season with uh, an object being stolen, uh-huh. and now we're here at the end with right. objects being stolen. And once we find either, it's going to be that that elbow off the turnbuckle Ooh, with the steel yeah. chair. Well, I can that's- tell you this: I'll be. Walking 
walking throughout the press box today. I'll walk through every single broadcast booth. And if there's anyone wearing old school Apple earbuds, we're going to have a conversation. It's over. It's over. Well, thank you as always for being out there. We, we really love this, uh, this podcast and knowing that you're all out there and following the team throughout the season and into the postseason as well. And this is a fun little side project for us as well to continue to bring you Braves baseball. And we really love getting to do that. And thank you uh, as always for being out there. Fire away with your questions for next week if you want to go ahead. Bravesbooth at gmail.com. And uh, this side of uh, a sweep, which we hope that doesn't take place, we'll be bringing you another episode next week. And I believe we're all counting on that. So until then, for Jay Chad, for Joe, I'm Ben, and you've been inside the Braves booth.